Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. I'm so glad that you are here, and on this first Sunday of 2024, you took the time to be in worship and in the fellowship of the believers this morning. And so I'm so thankful for that. I know the Lord's going to bless you for that. We're going to look at John chapter 13 this morning. And so if you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 13. Uh, We're going to, uh, Pastor Jordan shared a powerful word with us last week. Uh, And so we're just uh, moving forward a little bit actually in the book of John from where he was at last week. And uh, we're going to continue this study today. And then as I mentioned, uh, we're, next week uh, we are going to dive into taking a look at some time in prayer and fasting to see what the Lord actually has for us. So does, uh, when I came in this morning, this was on this table, and I thought uh, I would start by asking, have you, do you have your Christmas decorations down? Uh, we were visiting, some of you don't. You remember last week I told you, uh, gentlemen, Uh, You don't get to decide when you take it down. You do as you're told, and you take it down when you're told. Uh, But I chuckled last night. We were visiting some friends, and as we were leaving their neighborhood, I was counting the number of houses that still had um, all of their Christmas decorations up on the outside, only wondering what was on uh, the inside. So uh, anyway, uh, along with moving past Christmas and getting into the new year, one of the things that uh, we often do, and it's talked about, it's in the news, uh, and you see it here and there all the time, are New Year's resolutions. Any uh, resolution people uh, here? Uh, two, two people uh, on the front row, three people on the front row. That's how New Year's resolution people are, right? Uh, they start on the front row. That's their resolution, right? Then, the, then it's uh, the second row, third row, fourth row. I know you guys aren't moving off the, the front row, but that's how we do oftentimes uh, with New Year's resolutions. Uh, I uh, was taking a look uh, this last week at some New Year's resolutions. Uh, I uh, went to Sonic yesterday. My wife uh, wanted something for lunch, and so I just picked up um, something quick for my wife um, to bring for her for lunch yesterday, and, uh, or that was Friday, I'm sorry, and the lady at the window asked me if I had any New Year's resolutions, and uh, before my mouth could catch up with my brain, my mouth said yes to come here less uh, and have less of this food. (laughs) Uh, There would be an appropriate bumper sticker that I could put on the back of my car, but Melissa says I can't have it, that says the only reason I open my mouth is to change feet sometimes. Uh, But that's maybe true for all of us. But I Googled this last week. Uh, What are some New Year's resolutions that you shouldn't make? What are some New Year's resolutions that you should never make? Um, And I am not saying that I agree with these. I'm not saying that these are right. I'm just saying that I Googled it, and I'm just reporting the news here of what I actually found on the Google, if you will. Uh, New Year's resolutions you should never make. One is quit your job. 
Um, I didn't read the sentences after that. My assumption is it probably said, never quit your job unless you have another job lined up. That's my assumption. Uh, the second one, I told Dexter uh, this morning, this one, when I read this one, I thought about him. It says, never join a band. Never make a New Year's resolution to join a band because what it will cost you to join that band. I would probably put after that, unless it is a worship band, right? So there, there is an asterisk that's there. Yeah. Uh, the next New Year's resolution you should never make, find someone to marry. Don't know why. That's there. Uh, lose X amount of weight. Uh, join, this is, I, I wrote this one exactly, or copy this one exactly as it said. This will give you some insight on where I found these from. Uh, a New Year's resolution you should never make. Join a gym straight away. Uh, maybe these are from England. Uh, never make a New Year's resolution, uh, resolution to travel. I don't like that one. I disagree with that one. I love to travel. Uh, and then some more. Uh, become an Olympic gold medalist. Don't know why this one was there. I've never heard that anyone makes this New Year's resolution. Never make a New Year's resolution to turn into Captain Marvel. So there. Those are the New Year's resolutions uh, you should never make. Uh, but out of curiosity, uh, what were some of your resolutions that you resolved this year? Or maybe last year, the year before, or the year before, or the year before? Uh, you've probably heard the definition of insanity, right? Uh, to do the same thing over and over and over again, and to expect different results. Uh, there are pros and cons to New Year's resolutions. Uh, there are pluses and there are minuses uh, to New Year's resolutions. But the truth of the matter, if we're honest with ourselves, more often than not, New Year's resolutions, by the time we even get into sometimes the third or fourth week of the year, uh, become something that we put on the back burner and we say, well, we'll pick it up next year. And those New Year's resolutions are recycled over and over and over again. And so this morning, I want us to think about uh, what this year is actually looking like for you. Uh, sometimes, whenever we're thinking about the year, uh, we start with those New Year's resolutions. And we think, okay, I'm going to make this resolution, and I'm going to stick to it because this is what I want to accomplish, or this is what I actually want to do over the course of the year. Whenever we start talking about a new year, one of the things that we sometimes hear is, new year clean slate, right? Because we've turned a number on a calendar, we think, okay, there's automatically a clean slate, and we're going into this new year, and some things are actually going to be different this year. We think that the new year gives us a new start. The truth of the matter, and what we're going to find in Scripture this morning, is a new year doesn't create a new you. The only thing that creates a new you is the work of Jesus Christ. And if we plan to go into this year filled with resolutions that are more often broken than not, absent the presence of Jesus Christ, then we have 100% failed in who God created us to be. Do you remember the scripture that I love? It's one of my favorite scriptures in the 118th Psalm. The reminder for us, uh, in, or the 132nd Psalm, the reminder for us is that God knit us together in our mother's womb. 
That while we had never taken a breath of oxygen into our lungs, God was doing his amazing work hidden inside of our mothers, crafting us together. And I believe wholeheartedly that that scripture is reminding us that while God was doing the knitting work inside, he actually had a dream and a plan for your life. And a New Year's resolution, while they're not necessarily bad if you have the presence of Jesus in them, a New Year's resolution does not hold a candle or come close to comparing to the dream that God actually has for you. And so a new year doesn't create a new you. Jesus only can create a new you. I think sometimes at this point we think that we're just glad the busyness of the Christmas season is over, right? There's parties, there's events, there's activities, there are things going on at school, there's things going on at work, there's things going on with your family, and Lord knows we're trying to figure out which family events we're going to have and which family we're going to invite and which family we're not going to invite. That's just the way that life has come for all of us. And there's so much busyness built into the end of the year. We get to the beginning of the year, and it gives us the opportunity to actually take a breath. But the truth of the matter is, while we can take a breath for a short period of time, time in itself keeps marching on. And we have things added to our calendar. We have responsibilities given to us from work, our families, and just life in and of itself in general. We have deadlines, we have to-do lists, we have obligations, we have meetings, we have projects, we have laundry to fold, we have lawns to mow, we have dogs that need to be walked, and these things just keep building and building and building and building. There's places to go and there's people to meet, there's things to do, and there's Twitter feeds to actually check, right? Or whatever social media you actually desire. There's so much that's going on in our life, and things keep on moving. We get caught into the busyness, and we get caught in the day-to-day and the day-to-day that we forget the presence of Jesus is right there with us, and He desires to be with us in every area of our life. And then we dive into the Word of God, and we start to see what we might feel like are some crazy things that Scripture has actually said, like this. You can have life that is full, or life that is abundant. Or maybe like this. Whatever your burdens are, one translation says, you can lay them down. You can pick up freedom and peace in exchange. That seems preposterous, right? What do you mean I can lay my burdens down, but yet we walk around slumped with the burdens that we carry so often just because we're in a new year, and those burdens keep on coming? Or what about a scripture that one translation says it this way? For every six days you work, you rest on the seventh. And we're not going to raise hands this morning, but how many times do you get to do that, right? Do you actually get to take some time and rest? You actually get to take uh, uh, life itself and push pause in that moment so that you can experience true rest? But then what happens to the to-do list, the task, the things that actually need to be done, the things that build up just because we want to actually rest, Or what about this scripture? If your soul is weary, it can be replenished. 
Replenished? What do you mean, replenished? How's that even possible when I'm just trying to get through the day to mark off the things that are on my to-do list so that I can then and only then begin to take a breath? Some statements that I think that we could actually begin the year with is if we would be honest with ourselves, we would say we're an exhausted people. We're an exhausted people. One of the things that is often joked about in the American culture is that we had to retire so that we could actually begin to do some of the things that we wanted to do, but then we only discovered that there was no time in retirement to do the things that you actually wanted to do to begin with. And this is how we live our lives. And the honest truth is that it is contrary to the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. God did not want us to be a people that were so busy that we had no time for Him. And the truth is that He came in the flesh and we celebrated in the Christmas season a God who wanted to be with His people, but yet we forget that He's with us and we fill our lives up over and over and over again with this busyness. And busyness has now actually become an epidemic and it has to be reversed for the sake of God's kingdom agenda and for the sake of our own two busy souls. And let me tell you, I'm not preaching to you this morning. I'm just preaching to myself. And I hope that you listen in to the words that I say for myself. But this is how our society has said we have to live our lives. There's another thing on our to-do list, another busy item, an agenda item that actually has to be dealt with. And we juggle and we juggle and we juggle and we keep throwing another item in and keep throwing another item in and we juggle and do everything we can to just keep our heads above water. But we're overwhelmed, we're overscheduled, we're exhausted, we're drained emotionally, we're oftentimes drained financially, we're drained relationally, we're drained professionally, we're drained spiritually. And God wants us to set that aside and find rest and our identity in who He is and in who he is alone. So I begin this morning before we read John chapter 13 with this question. Where in your life are you grasping for breath or struggling to survive? This is a question that I actually wrote in my journal about a month and a half ago. Where are you grasping for breath are struggling to survive. And I think, honestly, this is a question that all of us have to ask ourselves whenever we begin the new year. Where are you grasping for breath? Where are you struggling to survive? And focus on that instead of what we would say is a New Year's resolution that while it may be a good thing, it really becomes just another item to jungle, juggle that's going to get us a little bit off of balance. Where are you struggling to survive? Where are you grasping for breath? And then this, this year, this year, have you discovered what God has dreamed for your life? Have you discovered what God has dreamed for your life? We were blessed to have um, some of my family visit us from Missouri for Christmas And um, as they were getting ready to head back, uh, I like to play this game in my mind that they've been gone for five hours, 
And I know that when you leave here in five hours, you should be north of Macon, but yet south of Atlanta. And so I'll think of, okay, I need to just call and check on them and make sure that they're okay. And so I'll call and check on them. And the first thing I'll say is, okay, you've been gone for five hours. Are you about between Macon and Atlanta right now? And I always think, yeah, I got it right whenever I got it right. Because that's the man thing to do, right? We want to think in in terms of map, in terms of travel. And then whenever it comes time to actually going somewhere, whenever you put it in the GPS, you see that it says, okay, we're going to get there by noon. And there is no greater joy by beating what the GPS says. And yeah, we made it at 1155, right? That's the man in us. But you know, you know what we do? Whenever we want to go somewhere, we chart a course, right? We're blessed that we have devices and phones now that have GPS systems in them. You can use Apple Maps. You can use Google Maps. You can use whatever map system that you want to use. And all you have to do is put an address in there, and it's going to give you a couple of different choices on how you actually get there. And we use these devices over and over and over. We used to call somewhere, and we used to say, okay, where are you at? And they would say, we're on Ridgewood, uh, just south of ISB or wherever. And then you say, okay. And then you drive up the road. You would look for the building, and then you would try to figure out where it was at. You still wanted to know where you were going, and you needed to have directions, but you did it a different way. And then you remember, it came along there for a while. You would have to go online to MapQuest, put it in, and then print out the directions, and then you would actually then begin to figure out where you were actually going. When I moved to Jacksonville, it was 24 years ago this year, um, I never lived, I went to college in Oklahoma City, uh, but I kind of stayed near the college. Uh, and when I moved to Jacksonville, it was this huge city, and I remember actually going to Office Depot, and I bought this uh, huge map of Jacksonville that I could keep in my car so that I could actually learn where I was actually going. No matter how you get directions now or how you got directions in the past, you never go somewhere unless you have directions. Now, there's some men, right? Oh, I'll figure it out. I know how to actually get there. Uh, And a 10-minute trip turns into a 30-minute trip, and all you've actually done is boost your ego but frustrate the other people in the car, right? You never go somewhere unless you know the route to where you're going. That's not only true in going to a specific address or a town. It's also true in our life. You don't get somewhere in life by accident. And if you do get somewhere by accident, it's probably not where you wanted to go to begin with, right? Because when I first moved to Jacksonville, and I thought I'd figured out the towns, and I didn't pull out that book of an atlas that I had to figure out all the roads in Jacksonville, I got a few places by accident I actually didn't want to be in, right? That's true in life as well. You don't find the place you're going by accident. Instead, you chart out a course to get to where you're going. So I want to ask you again, where do you want to go this year? But the greater question is where does God want to take you this year? Where does God want to take you this year? This is a question that you have to wrestle with. And I want to go through the John chapter, uh, this passage of Scripture in John chapter 13 we're going to read this morning. And I want you to think about that. Where does God want me to go? Where does God want to take me this year? And then what does it look like for me to chart a course 
with the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to actually get to that place. Not make a resolution that at the end of the year, I'm going to be a better Christian. That's a good resolution, right? But I promise you, if that's the resolution you make this morning at almost 11 o'clock, by 11.35, when you get out of here, and there are other people that are in front of you at the restaurant, and the wait is 20 minutes longer than what the hostess actually told you to begin with, that New Year's resolution is broken by 11.30, 11.35 this afternoon, or this morning, later on this morning. Where does God want to take you this year? And what is the, uh, the, the course, the route, the steps that you're going to take to actually get to that place? John chapter 13. It's not a traditional passage of Scripture that you would think that you would hear on the first Sunday of the year. This is something that we would usually read uh, around uh, between Passover and between uh, Easter, or between um, Palm Sunday and between Easter, because this is when this actually took place on the calendar. From what Pastor Jordan read to us last week, where Jesus was actually anointed. And there was some great debate about the, the cost of the oil where Jesus was anointed. Right after that, Jesus rides into town while they're waving palm branches and they're singing Hosanna and crying out to the highest praise of Jesus. Jesus has given some instructions to his disciples and they actually are gathering together what, for what we call the Last Supper, where Jesus is spending time with his disciples. One of the windows that we have here in the sanctuary is this window here that actually depicts what we're actually going to read today, where Jesus here at the bottom of the window has gathered together with his disciples, all 12 of them, and he begins to wash their feet. So what's this have to do with the new year? Let's dive into this, and let's figure out what the Spirit wants to say to us today. So John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. This is the Last Supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done to you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have actually done for you. So I want to step back from this passage of Scripture, and I want us to think for just a moment all of the things that are on our to-do list. What are the things that are on your to-do list? What are the things that as soon as you get out of here today, you think, okay, this is Sunday. The week is going to begin when I wake up in the morning. And there are things that I have to do today that have to get done before we begin the week tomorrow. Some of you may have a few things. Some of you may have dozens or dozens and dozens of things that are actually on your to-do list. What is it that's on your to-do list, not just for today, but for the week ahead, the month ahead, or the months ahead? And then I want to ask you the question, which of those things has Jesus directed you to place on your to-do list? Here, Jesus takes his disciples in what could be a very hectic time. He has revealed to them what's about to happen when he's getting ready to go to the cross. And so they know that his days are actually numbered. And so I would imagine that I would be a little bit like Peter here and and really a high strung, if you will, in the moment, thinking, okay, we've got so much that we've got to get done. There's so much that we have to accomplish because we only have a short period of time until Jesus is going to be gone, and then it's going to be a lot different. We've got to do this, and we've got to do this. And then when Jesus starts to wash their feet, Jesus or Peter says, okay, don't wash uh, just my feet. Then wash every bit of me. And Jesus reorders Peter's to-do list. He directs Peter with the truth of who Jesus actually is. And instead of being, oh, I would imagine, this is, this is what I actually read into this passage of Scripture. Instead of Peter being overwhelmed with everything that has to be accomplished and everything that Peter won't, and everything that Peter wants to do, Peter for just a moment has pause pushed in his life by Jesus. And Jesus says, no, don't look at that to-do list. This is the to-do list that I want you to actually look at, Peter. Instead of then being exhausted and overwhelmed and overscheduled, what we discover is Peter who is free from the word of God that was actually spoken into his life. We see here Jesus really gathering his disciples and reordering their life. Take a look at verse 1 in chapter 13. I want you to catch what, has, uh, what John has uh, revealed to us in the beginning here. Chapter, one, chapter 13 verse 1 says this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the time had come. Now, I know that Jesus was God in the flesh. We know that. It's the truth. Jesus was 100% divine. But the truth of Jesus is he was not only 100% divine, he was 100% human. And this is who Jesus actually was. I know the math doesn't add up. And it doesn't make sense to our finite human minds. But this is who Jesus was. And yes, Jesus would have known because he was God, but there was this flesh that, was, that Jesus also had, that God had wrapped himself in, that had to be dealt with. And there was this constant tension between the divinity and the humanity of God in the flesh in Jesus Christ. 
And whenever we get to John chapter 13, we actually see something that Jesus knew. Well, we have to ask ourselves, how is it possible in the middle of a busy schedule here of all that had happened? Remember, Jesus had just been uh, praised and exalted, and they had cried out to Jesus as he was coming into the city, praising Jesus on Palm Sunday. And then we get to this place, and in this busyness of the schedule, in all of the people that actually wanted to be around Jesus in this moment, Jesus knew. How is it possible that Jesus knew? We find some truth, actually, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, a gospel just before this. Luke 5, 15 says this, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This was a pattern that Jesus had in his life. It wasn't just something that Jesus did once in a while. Luke uses the intentional words translated into the English that says often. That was frequent. It wasn't just, well, whenever I have time. Or it wasn't Jesus just saying, you know what? I've lived, yeah, 33 or so years on the face of the earth. And so in those years, I'm actually going to start the new year with a resolution that I'm going to be better at getting away and I'm actually going to pray. No. The Scripture tells us in John 13 that Jesus knew that the time had come. Well, how did Jesus know? It's because he had lived Luke 5, 16. He often got away to solitary or, solitary or lonely places to pray. This was a pattern that Jesus had in his life over and over again. Because Jesus had received from his Father what his assignment was on this earth. And he knew if that was the destination or the address that he was going, then one of those habits, one of those patterns that he had to have in his life was often, frequently, more often than not, getting away to spend time with the Father in prayer. And as you sit with the Father this year and ask him, what are those dreams? What are those addresses? What are those destinations that he has for you? And God begins to reveal what happens is you don't run out and chart the course. You sit with the Father often, frequently in prayer, just you and him, and letting him guide you and him lead your steps. One of the scriptures that I absolutely love is where it says, the Lord has ordered our steps and the more that I live, the more I understand that scripture. And it's not that God has made us robots and he picks up our feet and he plants one in front and he operates through us that way. But it is that God has prepared a destination for us, dream here on the face of this earth and an eternal destination as well. And then he leads us and guides us if we often get away and spend time with him in prayer. So what is it that God has for you this year? You can't resolution yourself to that destination. That's a bad address. You cannot, or that's a, a bad uh, course to get to that destination or that address. You can't accidentally wander around and happen upon that place. You have to have patterns and habits in your life that are vital for you to get to that destination. 
Again, the new year has not given you a new slate to get to that place. It was Jesus who came to give you that slate. And what we see here in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus washing his disciples' feet, reminding them that only in Jesus are we actually then made new. Only in Jesus are we actually made clean. He washed his disciples' feet. Were they dirty? Yeah, they were probably dirty. Did they need to be washed? They may have or they may not have. Chances are they probably did need to be washed. Was there someone else that could wash them? Absolutely there was. But Jesus modeled this and said to his disciples by doing this in his actions, only in him can we truly have a clean slate. Only in him can we truly become clean and become actually new. And so that habit that you have to have this year after God reveals his dreams or the address or the destination for you, that habit that you have to have is the habit of going with God. And the way that you go with God is to do it in prayer. And that's why starting next Sunday, we're going to begin 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm not asking you to go without food for 21 days. I'm asking you to spend time with the Lord in 21 days and just be in those 21 days and just be obedient to Him. And a part of being with the Lord is doing some type of sacrificial service to Him. But the habit that you have to have in your life that is vital for you this year is that you go with God and you do that in prayer. You can only be as strong as your prayer life. You can only be that strong. If your time with God is suffering, then you're going to suffer. Oh, you can think, you know, I've been successful and I've got along good. I haven't had a lot of problems in my life. And I haven't spent a lot of time with God. Oh, you may get along for a while. You may get along for decades. But at some point, it's going to crumble. Because a house built without God is a house that will always crumble. Hear me. You have to have time with God every single day of your life. Psalm 25 verse 4 says this, Show me the path where I should go, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to walk on, and I will follow you. We have to spend time with the Lord. So not only do you have to go with God, not only do you go with God, but I want to give you another one, another habit that you have to have in your life. We're just, get, we're just doing two today. I had more, but I felt like the Lord wanted us to focus on two. You've got to go with God, but the other thing that you have to do is you have to let God go with you, right? I'll tell you what my habit is, getting ahead of God. I like to help God out. I like to get ahead of God. God doesn't operate on Michael Chambliss' time schedule. And it frustrates me. I don't know if that's true for any of you, but it's, it's so true for me. I get frustrated because I think God needs my help sometimes. Now, I don't stop and say, hey, God, I'm going to help you out. The way that I do that is I take action and I forget, oh, I should have consulted the Lord first. And oftentimes it's when I trip and I realize, man, I got here on my own. I didn't let God actually go with me. I read something a couple weeks ago online, and I want to read it to you exactly. I, don't, I found it on Facebook, and I don't even remember who, um, who posted it or who originally said it because I took a screenshot and the top part of whoever it was was cut off, and so I'm sorry, but I, I just want you to hear this because it really resonated with me. I hope it resonates with you. 
when it's all said and done, when I've made resolution after resolution, when I've made promise after promise, it really boils down to this. It comes back to this one thing, Jesus. More of Jesus, more of him, more of his mercy. It's simply God with me, Emmanuel with us. It's me fully devoted to him, devoted to his steadfast love and trustworthiness, knowing that no matter what comes my way, he's going with me. That's all I want. That's all I need. Truthfully, I've tasted what the world has to offer. And time after time and year after year, it leaves me empty and longing for something else. It's a remedy that only Jesus can satisfy, a longing that only Jesus can fulfill. Just give me Jesus. He's more than enough for me. You know, Jesus wants to go with you this year. Jesus doesn't just tell you the dream or the destination and say, good luck. I hope that you can actually get there. Do your best. Make some resolutions. Maybe put some habits or practices in your life. And do all you can to actually get to that destination. That's not how Jesus worked. That's not how he works today. He wants to go with you. But you have to let him go with you. I ran across a video some time back by a runner named David Brown. David Brown is a para-Olympic runner. The interesting thing about David Brown is that he runs with other runners that are actually blind. You think, well, how can a runner run and compete that is blind? I want you to watch this video and listen to a little bit of the explanation here. That's David in the blue. I ran with him our first practice. Coach needed to say, you're going to run with him after me. And, you know, the rest has been history. should be exact. We should be hitting the ground at the same time. This time, they're away. Brown gets away very, very well in state. Can you see his run? Look like one person. It should look like one person running. That tracking side on camera is magic to watch because it just shows that they're running almost like one person. Did you catch how David Brown runs? And did you hear what he said? He doesn't do it alone. Because he knows, because of the weakness he has in body, being blind, he can't do it by himself. And so what happens is they put a guide beside him. And that guide runs step for step, arm motion for arm motion, right beside him. And did you hear the words that he actually used talking about what it was like to compete with his guide? He said, it's like one runner. It's like one. It's not like the guide doing his thing and David Brown doing his thing. They run as one. And if you watch the video running along beside them, you can hardly see the guide on the other side because they're in step with one another so much 
that their foot hits the ground at the same time, it picks up at the same time, their arm swings back at the same time, it swings forward, their heads, everything is in tune. This is how God wants to run with you this year. He's not going to send you out alone and say, do your best. I'll be back here shouting out some commands, and I hope that you can hear me above all the busyness of your life. He doesn't get out ahead of you, and he doesn't stay out there. He works ahead of you because God's not confined by our time. But he doesn't get out ahead and say, hey, here I am. Come find me. Let's play a game of hide and seek. Come find me if you can. No, the way that God goes with you is he step by step, arm motion by arm motion. He's in tune with you if you will stay in tune with him. You see, David Brown can't run that race on his own. He has to have a guide. You can't live life on your own. You have to have a guide. And Jesus is here this morning at the start of 2024, and he's asking, can I be your guide? Can I be your guide? Will you go step by step with me? Arm motion by arm motion with me? Will you let me lead you? Will you come to me so that you're not burdened down? Will you come to me so that we can get to those dreams that I have for you? Maybe this year, maybe this year is the year that you set everything aside and you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I can't make it on my own. I need a guide. Will you be my guide? You know what? Jesus is here this morning for you. He wants to be your guide. He wants to be step by step. He wants to be arm motion by arm motion. He wants to be with you. We sang the song earlier this morning that reminds you that he wants to go with you. Will you go with him? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.